to talk Oklahoma Sooners with you, Garen Emig and Eric Bailey from the Tulsa World. Uh, we were uh, just about to uh, jump into uh, a previously not well, no, I, that makes it sound like we're organized. Eric, we aren't. Or we, this is, I was about to say previously scheduled format for the show. Are you kidding me? This is this is a lot more fun just to go off the cuff, but we really go off the cuff today because just as we were sitting down to, to record, uh, news broke that the college football playoff has decided to officially put expansion on hold through the 2025 season. That's four more years of four teams only. After all of the talk about expanding to 12 and all of the work that was done by a four-man subcommittee, including Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, right? Remember that from last summer before the world ended? and <laughs> went over the SEC upheaval and OU in Texas and all that stuff. Um, so, Eric... Uh, assuming that our friend Ralph Russo's uh, reporting, he's I think he and Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic broke through sources the story that the, the playoff is standing pat. Assuming the playoff really is standing pat, this goes back to Oklahoma and its situation regarding its future. True or false? Whereas everyone was ready to run to the SEC as soon as possible, is it true or false that it might be better to, to tap the brakes a little bit? I think so. I mean, from a competitive standpoint, if you're Oklahoma, the path to the football playoff is much easier through the Big 12. I mean, it's been proven. They've gone you know, 2015, 2017, 2018, 2019. They've been to the playoff um, 2020. You know, it's, it's one of those things where I think the path is easier through the Big 12, but then you still look at the financial ramifications, the prestige, preparing for the SEC. There's been talk, you know, a lot of people, they, you know, neither school officially say they'd love to be in the SEC before 2025. Uh, I think they would, but now it kind of makes you step back and look at this and, and think, is the path from a competitive standpoint easier to the college football playoff through the Big 12 than the SEC? I think so. I think it is for Oklahoma. And now I'm not saying that Oklahoma can't compete with the Alabama and the Georgias of the world. We're, we're just looking at the easier path. And I think it is through the Big 12. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if, if Oklahoma, Texas is going to make that really quick jump based on the college football playoff news or, or if, they're, if they're going to try to get out of the contract before 2025. That's the key. And, Garen, you and I talked about this before the, we started. It's just so interesting. When this came out with the 14 playoff, it's going to last the duration of the 12-year contract. I never thought that would happen. I never thought when they announced the college football playoff and it was a 12-year deal at four teams, I never thought that it would last 12 years. But it, after today's news, it looks like it's going to last a dozen years, which really surprises me. Well, it shouldn't. And I've, I've written this two or three different ways, even in the last year, Eric, that I just, it, you know, what it reminds me of, remember when Major League Baseball, gosh, this dates me now, uh, 25 years ago, when they cut with tradition and said, you know what, let's do more than four teams. You know, you play 162 games and you only have the – back then there were just four divisions. You only have the four division winners playing each other. And I remember the traditionalists and uh, some of the managers and the old baseball guard, like, oh, no, we can't do that, right? It'll, it, it'll, it'll ruin all that we love about the game. We've got a great product and we don't want to screw up a good thing. And without thinking that maybe more of a good thing is a good thing and – that's where I am on the playoff. It's, I mean, it's not just that I'm, I'm tired of, of uh, Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and even Oklahoma 
And I get a sense that the sporting public is tired of the same four to six teams rotating spots in a four-team playoff. You can make that argument, and I have in the world, but I, it just is, it just, it's all over me that people think that the, the reason not to progress is that we've got a good thing we, that, the, that there won't be as much meaning or attention on the regular season. It'll, it'll water down with, uh, you know, adding, adding even eight more teams will water down the playoffs. When it seems obvious to every, to just about anyone with any sense that the opposite is true. It gets more fan bases hooked into the process, right? Because, because it opens, it, it opens it up is what is simply what you're doing besides the fact that it also opens you up to a financial boom and the media analysts or who know a lot more about that than I do in terms of specifics have done, have done the research to show how many millions of dollars you're leaving on the table via network contracts by not expanding. And so I, I, I I'm literally, I'm, I'm at a loss for, for, for why, why this hasn't happened. And especially after the, after the work that Bullsby and those guys did to put together a, a, a sound, rational 12 team format. I know all of the issues that are pervading over college football NIL transfer portal, madness, coaching contract, madness, uncertainty with media outlets and contracts. I get all that, the realignment, uh, that's still no excuse. None of it is an excuse just to do the progressive thing here. And I'll, now I'll shut up and let you go. Yeah, well, why limit the fun, right? Is that, I mean, yeah. you, you look at all the, the, the major sports, look at baseball and the changes you talked about, about the playoff structure, uh, the designated hitter, you know, the traditionalists, you know, they hate the DH, but look where that's gone. Look at the NBA, how, you know, what they're doing now and how they're, uh, it's the playoffs. They went from the, the first round playoff used to be a best of five. Now it's best of seven. And it was a change. And then look at football. They added a week of football this year, you know, 17 games now. And, and the playoff structure has changed in the NFL too. So things can change. And just because, you know, change may be different, but change can't be bad. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would love to see an eight or a 12 team playoff. I would love to see that. I'd love to see the group of five get an opportunity. We saw Cincinnati break through. And uh, I'd like to see more competitive games. I, just the, the, when we go to the semifinal format with four teams, these, these semifinal games have been blowouts. They haven't been interesting at all. I just think if you add another, an, another hurdle, I think the games get more competitive. And uh, I think the fans, I mean, can you tell me that a quarterfinal game, if you go to eight, a quarterfinal game is going to draw so much attention. Those four games are going to be well, well watched because they're going to be competitive, really good teams. There's a way, and, and it's just it's just frustrating because I really think that it, it should expand beyond four. I mean, you think about it; it's been eight years now. It'd be nice just to see the change. Well, there, there is there literally was a way, in the fact that that subcommittee put 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 forth that twelve team way, and yeah. for for it to have not been almost rubber stamped is is just beyond me. Um, specific though, getting back on track to the Sooners, and it's my fault for for <laughs> my, the diatribe, but that I I tend to agree that. I mean, I, I, I haven't heard him say it. I'm not reporting it, but if you, it's, this is simple two and two, right? Two and two stuff that one of the reasons that it was, it became as easy for Oklahoma to make the call to, to, to realign with the SEC last summer was that 12 team playoff was on the table then. Right. And in fact, it seemed like that's where we were headed. Castiglio's own commissioner was involved in that subcommittee, Bob Bowlesby, the SEC commissioner was involved in that his future commissioner, 
so he had to think that uh, part of the competitive aspect to this move was going to open up for the Sooners. If it was going to be harder for them to make a playoff from the SEC, a four-team playoff, well, it suddenly looked a lot more feasible with 12, with that at some point. And maybe it was going to time out with OU's official move to the SEC. And yeah, now uh, you're you're going to at least one season just because of, of yeah. even if they run out the grant of rights through the Big 12, Eric, that last season, you're going to have to run through the SEC to make a four-teamer. And I <laughs> I can't believe that that's uh, – we'll see how, what, what kind of shape the program is in it by that time. We'll see, right, what Brent Venables does with the Sooners between now and then. Who's to say? But as it stands right now, that looks more like – that feels like sort of banging your head against the wall. Exactly, it does. And, and uh, you're right, and it comes down to making – preparing for this transition. I mean, that's what Brent Venables – you know, going back to Oklahoma football, that's what Brent Venables – that's his job. He's got to get this team ready to make that change to the SEC. Uh, college football playoff is part of the discussion too now. So just, I'm really interesting to, you know, maybe that's a question we ask Brent when we get a chance to talk to him again is, you know, just his thoughts on the college football playoff. You know, now that he's at a new school, he was at a former school that, you know, really had no problem going through the ACC and getting to the playoff. What's his thoughts in the big 12 and getting to the playoff in a four team structure and, and how much does, do things change when they do go to the SEC? I think that's something we really need to ask Venables. Yeah, well, I think the understanding is that the new staff, not just Brent, but uh, Jeff Levy coming from Ole Miss, uh, some of the other, Jay Valai, who's at, what, Alabama, the cornerbacks coach, right? Uh, they're putting not just a Clemson imprint sort of on, on the program, but an SEC one as well. And so, yeah, no, I um, – I and, and the other thing is, uh, Eric, is that I just because there's been so much turmoil with regard to the transition from Riley and Grinch and, and that group to Brent and Ted Roof and Levy and this group, the need to stabilize, right? That's the word we keep, that we've used ever since Riley went to USC several weeks ago. The need to, the need to stabilize is almost an excuse for you to say, you know what, <laughs> maybe we, we stay w- with what we know a little longer than we plan to. Right. Regarding moving to the SEC, regardless of any playoff structure, you know, let's let's, we 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 know that we know the playbook on how to succeed in the Big 12. Maybe we stick to that a little bit until we get the transition toward a more SEC centric program in place with the new coaching staff. That's a great point, because, you know, we also it's, it's only not knowing the playoff. It's the recruiting aspect, too. You look at when Lincoln Riley was here, when everyone thought Lincoln Riley would be here through SEC change, uh, recruiting was at an all-time high. I mean, he was getting the, the quality five-star recruits to come to Oklahoma. Riley's left. Brent Venables is going to have to rebuild that, and he did a great job this past. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from what he did this past right. class because he was outstanding, number eight in the country. But this gives this would that would give Brent Venables a little more time to build that recruiting foundation. I think you know Oklahoma is going to be really good in recruiting in the next couple of years, but. Once you get those recruits on campus, you're right. It takes time for them to develop and learn the system and play and be successful. And, you know, maybe this does allow Oklahoma to step back and say, okay, let's get ready for this move. Maybe it'll take a couple more years to, to, to prepare for that move. So there's so many different ways you can go through this conversation. Right. And, and I'm sure Brent Venables and Joe Castiglione and everyone inside the OE Athletics Department is trying to figure out, okay, what's what's the game plan? What's the blueprint? And it, it's good. It's going to be interesting to see in the next, not this year, but the years to come. It's funny how things change because the narrative does. 
when we sort of came to grips with what the Sooners and Texas were doing, right, and leaving the Big 12, and we saw the, the money figures that were thrown out, again, by the, uh, the market analysts in terms of what kind of a windfall it could be. Dude, if you had asked me last August when the Sooners were going to camp, whether OU would be in the SEC next year or at the uh-huh. end of the grant of rights, I would have said next year. Because I, 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 I figured that by the, the base had been worked up in the fan base, right? The donor base had been worked up into such a, a, a lather by the prospect of playing Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, oh, instead of Kansas, Texas Tech, what you know what I mean? Uh, West Virginia, uh, that kind of thing. I mean, this was multi-layer. There, there were thousands of, thousands of layers to this. It wasn't just competitive. It wasn't, most of it was financial. But I mean, the, the layers seeped down into a bunch of different things that had to be decided. But the overall tenor from, from last, again, last August was full speed ahead, yeah, right? Sure. Let the lawyers do their work to get out of whatever they need to do in terms of the grant of rights, absorb the, uh, the exit fees, but get the program to where the people, yeah. <laughs> your people, want to be, I guess, I guess outside of the head football coach, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've come to learn. Um, right, but, but, but full speed, Ed, get, get this done. And it's, it's amazing how, uh, gosh, about a half year later, it's like, get this done, question mark, not exclamation point. Yeah. I mean, and then you look at the money. You, it's funny, you mean, about the financials, you know, it was reported last week, the SEC member schools averaged $55 million almost in revenue. Uh, those are some big figures for schools too. And, you know, if you're Joe Stiglione, that's not lost on you either. How much money these SEC schools make. I mean, the SEC, that, that's just, you know, I think their total revenue was $833 million. You're, you're closing in on a billion dollar revenue. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. money that's involved in, in the SEC and in everything in college athletics. Well, and a real quick sidebar to that. Did you see the reports that came out this week about a potential $1 billion Big Ten yeah. media rights package? Yeah. And if you're Oklahoma and uh, you see that on top of the revenue distribution in the SEC and, all, and you're trying to maintain, right, you're trying to stay on, a, on equal footing, especially with regard to football, but across the board, yeah, that that steers you uh, probably to make decisions more than what a playoff committee does or does not decide. Competitively, though, competitively, uh, it's not ideal to have to work your way through Alabama and Georgia right now to get to a four-team playoff. It just doesn't. Exactly. Yeah, going back to the, the how we started this, you're right. I mean, it, it, yeah, the path is a lot easier through the Big 12, so we'll we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, all right. So we have that. Uh, staff news is on hold uh, regarding the Sooner football program, unless someone snuck in through a back door that I wasn't aware of. Right. <laughs> Play, players on hold. Transfer wise. Yeah, it's a quiet time. <laughs> signing day, you know, that's for a beat writer. End of February is a quiet time because, you know, it's a, it's a dead period. The coaches really get a little bit of time off. I know in Oklahoma, they're probably not taking time off because they, they got to learn this playbook. They got to get it ready for an install. Uh, Chip Viney, how about him? Uh, Chip Viney moving on. He's been with part of the program for, gosh, I, how many years, Garen? I mean, he, he's been a, a star. He's been a Feels like a decade. Guy. Yeah, he's been behind the scenes and sent a really nice social media tweet for leaving for San Jose State. 
uh, just thanking Oklahoma for all the opportunities and what they did to them. And, you know, when I get a chance to talk to some of these recruits, uh, they, they mentioned Chip Viney. They say he was such a big part of their recruitment, too, behind the scenes. So good luck to him. I, I You know, I, I think that it's just a it's, – it's neat. He, he, he just – guys like that, when you see guys like that that have, have just really invested in the Oklahoma program – you know, as a fan, as a coach, you're probably really glad to see them move on with their life and, and be thankful for what the family. And you, you, you're almost like a parent, I guess, if you're an Oklahoma fan, because you see them move on and you hope that, you know, whatever happens, uh, happens, just good things happen for that person. Mine is a guy that has been sort of, as you put it well, a behind the scenes guy for a number of years at, at OU, worked uh, mostly technically on the defensive side of the ball. Um, dating back to when, when Bob Stoops was, was the head coach uh, as well. And uh, I, I think he's come up in conversations we've had with both players and coaches through the years as watch his trajectory. Once, once he uh, makes his way, whether it's a Norman or elsewhere, watch, just watch him become a star in the business. So, yeah, no, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Viney has, has done some important work behind the scenes for, for a number of years and, uh, and uh, will be followed by – both players and fans, uh, both players and coaches of that program. Uh, we're getting closer to March, Eric. We really ought to load up on basketball as OU continues its pursuit of an NCAA tournament berth. I think, I think the tone was pretty positive when you and I visited a week ago. And uh, then came a close loss in Lawrence, which didn't exactly reflect poorly on the Sooners. But then came another close loss, overtime loss at home to Texas. They're, they're playing, you know, the best teams the Big 12 has to uh, to offer, and yet they're not winning them. They're competitive, but they're not pulling through. And I think the I think this is the time of year you start to not so much focus on credit them for being competitive, but worry about them for not pulling through. Exactly, it's one thing. It's a bittersweet time if you're an Oklahoma fan because you're excited about how they are playing and how close they're coming to beating the Texas, the Kansas of the world. Uh, and it's coming, you know, winning in Lawrence. They haven't done that since 93, and they had a chance. They had an opportunity to, to win. They had the ball in a two-point two point loss in the final second. So I think, uh, you know, Porter Mosier, uh, he's excited about what they're doing, but he knows they need to win. And uh, it's, it's just so important for them. They've been on the bubble. I think they're sliding off the bubble now uh, because they do have a lot of quality wins as well, but they have a lot of close losses. They really need to win some of these tight games, and they're going to have to finish strong. That's the key starting at Iowa State on Saturday, which, you know, it, it's always been hard to win at Iowa State for the Sooners program. So I think that's a big key. Uh, and, but they do have winnable games left on the schedule. Uh, they do go to Tech, which will be tough, but they got OSU, Kansas State still uh, on the schedule. There's, there's winnable games, but they're going to have to finish strong and probably win a game in the Big 12 tournament. And that Big 12 tournament is not going to be easy. All Those four semi or quarterfinal teams are all going to be uh, drag out fights so it's going to be fun to watch yeah the problem is uh OU is good enough to compete I don't know if they're good enough again to to overcome and they're not play. they might not be playing uh Kansas and Texas down the stretch any any longer but I didn't hear I didn't hear a tap in just now I mean you Iowa State has has uh, sort of gone the wrong direction really since mid-January, but I I'm not sure I expect the Sooners to win in Ames. I just I just yeah. don't know if I can say that. I I wouldn't. I'm not sure that when they host Bedlam a week from tomorrow, that that's going to work out in their yeah. favor, right? Because it didn't in Stillwater yeah. at all. Yeah. So. so 
it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how how this plays out. And and the funny thing is, the news this week, you know, Oklahoma is struggling on the basketball court. Uh, Porter Mosier made off the court news by announcing that he's all in, definitely that the school needs a new basketball arena. And this is something we talked about in 2017, 2018. They talked about an off-campus arena in North Norman, and it kind of got tabled, kind of got voted down. And now the county commission looks like they're ready to start this talk up again. And uh, this is something that's interesting, the timing. Uh, Porter Mosier said that, you know, Lloyd Noble Center is 50 years old. He said some schools have built two new arenas in that time. So he said that he, that school definitely needs an arena. I just don't know what directions this is going to go. I just, I'm really curious to see where this plays out and how it goes. I'm not arguing against the fact that the Lloyd Noble Center is, is a little bit antiquated, I guess, but it's not a dump. Number one, the problem is not the building. And I've, again, this is, this is like the cut and paste deal. I, I've said it or written it over the years as a beat writer. And then as a columnist, it's not, the building, it's the atmosphere in the building. And I think that translates to a new off-campus arena for a year. And then if Porter Moser doesn't have a team that's Final Four caliber, and it takes something like that to get fans interested in OU basketball, if he doesn't have a team with Buddy Heald or Blake Griffin on it or Trey Young, you're, the crowds ain't going to be – I'm just telling you, they're not going to be any different. This, this has been a generational issue with Oklahoma basketball that, uh, that Lloyd Noble becomes a scapegoat for, okay? I think that I, – I just want that on the record before people decide to pay whatever they pay in taxes to get uh, – again, you want to do it, great, go for it. You want to campaign for it. If you're Porter Moser, I don't blame him a bit. Right, yeah. because it, every it's new and it's what's new and shiny and and all tricked up to get it makes the coach's job easier and, and to get the fan base excited and it will get them excited for a while, but I I just this it, OU basketball is I hate saying this because everyone says it but it it, it it literally in this case is what it is and in this case it is what it has been for years. Yeah, but, and, and when it comes to fan connection. And Porter Moser, you mentioned bringing in the superstars, and uh, that's one thing Porter Moser does understand, that he has to put a winning product on the floor, and he said that. He came right out and said that. It's, it's, it's his job to go out there and win basketball games and make fans want to come to games. So he understands the challenge, not only of the funding, but also, more importantly for him, putting a winning product on the floor. I think it's good that he grasped that. He doesn't feel entitled to a new arena because – uh, he's the new coach at Oklahoma. He knows he has to earn that as well. All right, real quick, uh, baseball opening day in Dallas or at there, the uh, yeah, Rangers Auburn, playing Auburn. Jake Bennett, Bigsby High School. Uh, you know, I feel bad for him when you look at his career. He started off the 2020 season three and zero with a 0.75 ERA. Uh, outstanding start on an outstanding staff. That team was set to go to Omaha. I mean, we look at it. That team was set, and then COVID cut everything. And then Jake came back next year, kind of struggled, didn't have the, the opportunity to go through summer workouts in Cape Cod because of COVID. Uh, came back last spring, uh, struggled a little bit, had an ERA over six. But Skip Johnson hasn't lost faith in the, in the left-hander. And uh, Jake went to the Cape Cod League, had some success, worked on things. And now, lo and behold, he's the opening day starter for Oklahoma baseball. So it's neat seeing a local, uh, local young man out of Bixby go and get to where he's at now and ready for the ball in his hand on Friday nights. Um, also, he credited George Frazier, uh, the Tolson uh, okay. 
No, he said during that COVID year, he worked with George Frazier too. George Frazier uh, kind of fine-tuned some things too. So I thought that was interesting as well. Well, speaking of pitchers, real quick, uh, as much as the focus on softball, I know you softball is on uh, Jocelyn Alice's pursuit of the all-time NCAA home run record. How about the freshman hurler, uh, Jordy Ball against UCLA last week? You know, it's officially, funny. I, I guess officially arriving. Four to one, 14 strikeouts against the Bruins. I mean, and just really amazing game. And tells you a lot. Patty Gasco in the preseason, she talked about how good a pitcher she was, and, and now she's proving it. And the thing you like to see if you're an Oklahoma fan is, man, she is demonstrative on the mound. <laughs> she's, she's, not a, she's not a shy freshman by any means. She's out there. She's aggressive. She attacks batters. She celebrates strikeouts, a little fist pump. And uh, here's a, a young lady that's going to make waves in college softball, and it's going to be fun to watch her growth and her progression. And, boy, that just makes that dominant Oklahoma team even more dominant when you have someone like her in the circle. So they uh, they they have they have uh, number one protected well right through one week of the season didn't didn't drop any games out no. in their uh, season opening event and they're in Houston this weekend they're in Houston this weekend yeah gave up scored forty runs gave up one unearned run fine <laughs> for a perfect game in one game yeah they're they're really setting their foundation and speaking of Jocelyn Allo she's at ninety now needs five home runs to beat Lauren Chamberlain's NCAA record and so that'll be the next thing we're going to really be watching closely is that home run Ross or home run watch for Jocelyn Allo you said you might get a chance to to speak with Chamberlain next week about that uh, with with uh, folks at OU's assistance so that might be interesting perspective so definitely yeah all right. So we'll keep track of it as best we can. Uh, a lot of things happening. It's OU sports. It's the case that no matter what time of year it is, uh, football, basketball, spring sports, and otherwise, Eric's on top of it as the beat writer. I'll chime in as a columnist now again, and you can catch our podcast every week on TulsaWorld.com, the video version via Google, Spotify, and Apple uh, audio-wise. Please continue to download the product throughout the weeks, uh, and we will continue to crank it out whether from a Sooners, Oklahoma State Cowboys, or Tulsa Golden Hurricane perspective. We'll talk to you next week. For more information, you can visit TulsaWorld.com.